humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950, talking to you from the bunker, the bunker <laughs> in lovely Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Hello, happy Pride. Happy Pride, happy Pride. It's Pride weekend in the Twin Cities, which means there will be a gazillion people at Loring Park in Minneapolis over the weekend. That includes me. I'll be staffing the AM 950 booth uh, at Pride um, from 2 to 4 today. I'll even have my 80-pound pup Jack with me. Yeah, it's going to be four hours with Jack. Hopefully he's going to get tired out because he's going to want to just keep talking to people and, 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 and nudging them. And God forbid there's another dog that goes by. He's going to want to talk to that dog. Okay, but Come by and say hello if you're going to go out to uh, Pride. That'd be today from 2 to four, two to, two to 6, I will be out there. Not 2 to 4, 2 to 6. It's going to be four hours. Okay, all right, we got that bit of housekeeping out of the way. And now let's get to uh, today's show. The big interview is with Presbyterian Pastor Dean Seal. Um, you may recall that I spoke at his church in Chaska earlier this month. I talked about that in one of my C-blocks. And of course, I will have the C-block, and I'll talk about my work as an idealist. But now, let's talk about our featured idealist, um, Jim Obergefell. Obergefell. Jim Obergefell. Uh, while that name may not register with many of you, certainly you will know what it is that he did. Jim Obergefell was the plaintiff in the U.S. Supreme Court case of Burgerfell v. Hodges, in which the Supreme Court in 2015 declared that gay and lesbian people have a constitutional right to marry. That case um, uh, was decided had with five justices ruling in favor of marriage equality and four of them dissenting. And I'll come back to that in a bit because we are reeling right as I as I speak to you, reeling from what the Supreme Court has done with abortion rights. But first, who is Jim Obergefell? Um, Sorry, I'm tripping over it, but you're getting the idea. Jim Obergefell. He was born in Sandusky, Ohio in 1986 and attended college in Ohio to to become a teacher. He taught German after college. While in college, Jim uh, met John Arthur. The two men fell in love and moved in together. Eventually, the Jim and John. Eventually, Jim and John worked together as IT and business management consultants. In 2011, John Arthur, Jim's partner, was diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. By mid 2013, John's disease had progressed greatly. At that point, the couple decided that they wanted to marry. Now, you may recall that in 2013, marriage equality. You know, Pay attention to this, okay, because guess what? We're going backwards. Uh, That in 2013, marriage equality, where gay and lesbian folks could marry, okay, that's what marriage equality is, it was a hodgepodge. Some states, like Minnesota and Iowa, allowed it, whereas many other states prohibited it. One of the prohibiting states was Ohio, where Jim and John were living. So in order to get married, and with the help of friends who pooled funds, uh, Jim uh, Obergefell rented a medically equipped plane and hired a nurse to fly his partner, John, to Baltimore, Maryland. Marriage between two men was legal in Maryland. And, and I mean, this is a story of incredible 
um, incredible guts and 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 allyship because other people helped all of this happen. But they flew the plane to Baltimore, the airport in Baltimore, okay, because in Maryland, uh, same-sex couples could marry. The plane landed at the Baltimore airport and sat on the tarmac. And, it, and while the plane was on the tarmac, Jim and John exchanged vows and became legally married under Maryland law. The plane then took off and flew back to Ohio. This occurred in July of 2013. So they didn't even get off the plane, okay? And of course... Uh, John couldn't get off the plane because of his disease. So they just flew back, flew back to Ohio where that was their home. But even though they were legally married, okay, under, under Maryland law, Ohio refused to recognize the marriage, okay, because Ohio said same-sex couples couldn't marry. And it was, it, it was significant, okay, because it meant that when John passed and his, his passing was imminent, okay, Jim Obergefell couldn't be listed as the surviving spouse on John's death certificate. It also meant that he might not be able to get some benefits um, related to uh, John's passing. So as a result of that incredible unfairness, Jim Obergefell filed a lawsuit in federal court in Ohio. This was while John was still hanging on to life. And the federal court decided in Jim's favor the very next day after the case, court, the case was filed. But the state of Ohio, because they had to resist this, of course, they appealed that decision, and the higher court, the next court up, the Court of Appeals, uh, upheld Ohio's ban on same-sex marriage. Jim then filed an appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court. Unfortunately, John died in October of 2013, and he would never see the results of Jim's case being considered by the U.S. Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court did eventually rule in Jim's favor. That decision came down on June 26, 2015. We're just two days away, okay? Two days shy as I'm, t- as I'm giving you this. Um, as you're listening to this, one day shy of the seventh anniversary of Obergefell versus Hodges, okay? The case that gave us marriage equality across the land, okay? The decision was read by then Justice Anthony Kennedy, who wrote in the court's majority opinion this, quote, no union is more profound than marriage. For, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become somewhat greater, something greater than what, what than once they were. After winning the case, Obergefell stated, quote, it affirms that millions across the country already know what to be true in their hearts. Our love is equal. The four words etched onto the front of the Supreme Court, equal, un- equal justice under law, applies to us too, unquote. So after uh, the Supreme Court decision, Jim Oberg- Obergefell, gosh, I'm so sorry about that, um, devoted his life to activism in support of LGBTQ plus people. He moved to Washington, D.C. and lived there for several years. He later moved back to Ohio and at present is running for the Ohio House of Representatives in District 89. The Democratic primary for that seat is on August 2nd, so we'll see what happens. I sure wish that idealist Jim Obergefell great luck. Now, back to the Supreme Court. I had written, so I had written out my show notes, okay, for this show. I had written them out, 
<laughs> before the, the Dobbs decision, the abortion case came down. It came, I, I had the show notes all done and I'm, I'm writing here in my show notes, you know, about how, about how it was a five to four, you know, majority in Obergefell, okay, V. Hodges giving us marriage equality and with me theorizing, okay, how now the court has a 6-3 split, all right? That's what I wrote. Now, I was going to talk a little bit about that, you know, the ominous, ominous 6-3 split. And then, of course, the Dobbs decision came down, okay? And the Dobbs decision, while it is horrible for women, it is also horrible for LGBTQ plus people. And Justice Thomas, um, as I was driving to the station to do this taping of my show, filed a concurring opinion today, concurring in the Dobbs case, but saying this was just the beginning. Abortion was just the beginning. Next, we're going after contraceptives. Can you, can you imagine a state saying you can't take the pill? Can you imagine a state saying you can't do that? You know, it, it, you, it, you know, nope, you can't get the pill. Just, just think about that. You can't, you can't get condoms. That's birth control. Can you imagine? Okay. But Thomas also saying coming after marriage equality after that and against, and coming after consensual sex between adults. Okay. And it's not all adults. It would just be gay people, adults. And I've got to tell you, everyone, um, this is incredible. <laughs> but then there's one more thing, and that's me, a transgender woman who anybody paying attention to me in public knows I'm trans because the voice doesn't match the appearance. Something you've heard from me about, like, what, 9,000 times as I've done this show over the years, it's going to be worse, even worse for us. Because I am absolutely certain the Supreme Court is going to say you can enact any law you want to against transgender people. And the reason for that is because there is language in the Dobbs case which talks about America tradition and, and, and history, you know, that, that the Supreme Court has to recognize that as it's making its rulings. And, and for, the, for the Dobbs case, court essentially says, you know, yeah, Roe v. Wade came in, you know, 50 years ago. But before that, you know, American history was that abortion was illegal. Abortion wasn't re recognized when they founded the, con you know, when they got the, ratified the Constitution. You know, abortion was bad, okay? Well, let me just tell you, transgender people were not even known. We were around, but, I mean, we, we were so far under the radar because us showing up in public in America meant at, at, the, at a minimum, we're going to jail. But worse than that, we're, we're going to get killed. And I anticipate right now the Supreme Court within the next 
two years is going to rule, is going to say, because there are sports, there are cases coming up about transgender girls trying to play in sports. I am convinced the Supreme Court's going to come down with such broad language that it's only going to encourage, encourage legislators to pass more laws against transgender people like, ah, uh, I can't go out in public. Like if your, if your gender identity, which is mine is female, if it doesn't match what you were born with in terms of genitalia, okay, that it's wrong. You can't, you, you can't be in public. Maybe, maybe they're going to say you, you can't even have a job. I don't know. Stay tuned. All right. Okay, we're going to take a big break, and we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk with Pastor Dean Seal from Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church in Chaska, Minnesota. You will like Pastor Dean. In fact, it's the first but not the last time I will have him on the show because he is so powerful. All right, so we'll be back. Uh, talk to you on, on the other side. Thanks. back on LE 2.0 Radio. Um, by all means, remember, it's Pride Month. Um, it's good to go look at, uh, uh, study up on Jim Obiggerfell, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's good to study up on that case because um, who knows how long that case will be around. All right, so for the big interview right now, um, we've got Pastor Dean Seal from Shepherd of the Hills, a Presbyterian Church in lovely Chaska, Minnesota, and I also note that the church is on a hill, um, here to talk with us. And Pastor Dean is, is stepping in kind of at the last minute, um, and he and I um, are going to talk about what the Supreme Court did yesterday and about the implications of it for, for the future, as well as we'll talk about some other things. Pastor Dean, thanks so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. I'm really thrilled to have you here. Thanks for asking me. I'm a big fan. Oh, well, thanks. And this probably will not, no, I'm certain this won't be the last time you and I are on, on this show together because you are a wealth of a whole lot of things. Good. Okay, but we had started down the road. I had given you some prompts for today about what we would what we would talk about. And then in the time between when I gave you the prompts, because everyone, you know, the sausage being made here that this show is being taped on Friday to air on Saturday and Sunday. In the time between when I gave you the prompts and when I got here to the station, the Supreme Court dumped on us um, the Dobbs decision. So one of the things uh, one, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about and first, we're going to need to get a little introduction uh, to you. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is how not all religions, okay, and particularly the Presbyterian faith, which we're going to discuss here, not all religions um, have, this, have this line in the sand as it relates to abortion. So, but before the, we do that, Pastor Dean, you are, you've been the pastor at Shepherd of the Hills for a number of years, but you have a background in in, um, in, in uh, uh, writing and in um, acting and in, in production of, of, of various things. 
Um, you've yeah. had something on HBO. You, you you wrote something for that. You want to give us a give us the two minute Pastor Dean background. Okay, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, performing uh, comedy. I was in a the 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 biggest iteration was Mr. Elk and Mr. Seal. A college buddy of mine named Rob Elk. We sung a cappella uh, funny songs that we wrote. Uh, we performed in New York City a lot. We performed at Catch a Rising Star at a time when Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld and Rosie O'Donnell were coming up. Uh, we ended up doing some uh, uh, work for the Comedy Channel, which then became Comedy Central. But we were there on the first day doing uh, funny bumpers for them. Um, we eventually got to do a, a pilot for HBO. We shot it at Paisley Park. We got it with Joel Hodgson of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, and the, the pilot was a big, fat bomb. It was really no good at all. Quarter million dollars blown in a day. <laughs> but, uh, that made me kind of not interested in TV anymore. So I went uh, into theater. I ran the Fringe Festival for four years and brought attendance from 4,400 to 28,000. And I ran the Bryant Lake Bowl Cabaret Theater, where one of my big hits was Miss Richfield 1981, which was a, a drag act. And, and it was a huge, fantastic hit. Then I got out of showbiz and I went to the seminary, uh, starting with uh, theology and the arts, and then eventually uh, into a master divinity. I taught for 11 years at Augsburg College part-time, and then I became a pastor. So it's a social justice thing, starting with Dr. King and uh, uh, moving into what's connected to that, which is uh, interfaith work. Uh, and so that's the basis of what I do at Shepherd of the Hill, singular. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Thank you for the clarification. I appreciate that. Um, uh, so... Um, uh, oh, Ellie, come on. Let's, well, you know, of course I just lost the thought, but, uh, you and I, um, got to know each other because I, I rang you up and, and then you asked me to come and speak at the church, which the listen, my listeners know that I did a couple of weeks ago. I talked about it on this show. And yeah. so, so, but, but, um, today though, let's talk a little bit. Well, let's talk a bit here about what happened with the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court has essentially taken away a right that it had recognized, not that it had given, a right that it had recognized that it ex that existed because of the way the Constitution is set up with various provisions essentially saying that the, if the government doesn't have a compelling interest to get into your life, you got the right to make your own decisions about things. Um, and now, of course, um, not only did that decision come down this morning, but just right before I went on the air, Justice Thomas issued a concurring opinion to that decision where he says, okay, this is just the start because next up is uh, contraceptives we're going to go after, we're going to go after um, marriage equality, and we're going to, which that president is only, that president is only seven years you know, so barely, you know, would it even hold up, I'm sure, with the way the court's working. And then Thomas wrote that he wants to go after a consensual sex between adults. Pastor, first of all, tell us about the Presbyterian kind of point of view as it relates to um, abortion and as it relates to also humans being able to live their lives generally. 
Yeah, um, uh, the Presbyterian Church USA is the part I'm part of. There's like 18 Presbyterian denominations, but we're the ones, we're the biggest one, and we're the ones who are adamant about having rights for the LGBTQ community. We ordain gay people, we marry gay people, we welcome them into full citizenship. We also ordain women, and we and uh, uh, a lot of churches don't do that. The Catholics don't, most evangelical churches don't, the Southern Baptists don't. So we consider women to be fully human, and that's one of the reasons why we uh, uh, consider the LGBTQ community to be fully human. Thank we you. are loved by God as God created us. So in terms of abortion, the Presbyterian Church is very clear on this, Presbyterian Church USA. We believe that if you choose to not have an abortion, that is a religious decision. But if you choose to prevent someone else from having an abortion, that is religious oppression. It is wrong and it is bad and it is should be illegal. Okay, so uh, we have a rainbow flag out in front of our church. We have a Black Lives Matter flag out in front of our church. We just uh, took on <clears throat> Moms Demand Action uh, as one of our uh, 16 missions to try and get more gun safety going. And this is going to be uh, something that we do uh, and we advocate for and that we're adamant about. Women have the right to make those decisions. Now, for me, there was a we had a cousin in our family who had two kids, uh, but there, her her mother had had a stroke and died when she was 55. And when she got her third pregnancy, uh, the doctor said, you know what, you have to terminate this pregnancy or you will be dead at 31 and your kids won't have a mom. And so she had to terminate that pregnancy. Right. And then, and then she lived to be 55. So this idea that somebody in the government is going to make a decision about what a doctor is recommending is uh, abhorrent to me. Well, not only that, I mean, um, of course, half the states now are going to ban abortion. And, yeah. and, and a good number of those states are going to ban abortion in all cases, incest, yep. rape, you know, even the health of the mother, like the, the thing that you just described. Um, yep. And what, from a pastoral perspective, I mean, now we have to remember we're, we're all here in Minnesota, right? And Minnesota is going to, in, in a variety of ways, has been and is going to be even more of like an island, okay, of an island of, of humanity, of allowing humans to be who they are. Um, and so we have to take that into account. But yep. what... What are the churches across, the Presbyterian churches across America, what are they saying about this? Um, uh, you know, because you knew that we all knew the decision was going to come down. And so yeah. what, what have you heard about them? The, the ones that are in states where the, you know, the, the abortion bans are going to take effect, are they going to try and assist women so that women can go to other states where abortion is legal? I don't know what they're doing on the national level. I know that they put out this statement when when the, the decision was leached. They put out this statement saying, let's be clear about where we stand on this. But what they're going to do in states like Kentucky, where the Presbyterian Church USA is actually headquartered, uh, we don't know yet. So okay. uh, uh, the Presbyterian Church is kind of small. We're only 1.2 million. Uh, but uh, we're, we're uh, pretty uh, influential. A lot of the U.S. government was uh, initially based on the Presbyterian form of government. 
um, and we're politically active, and uh, we have really high requirements for educational levels. So like uh, Walter Mondale went to my home church at Westminster Presbyterian. Hubert Humphrey went to uh, uh, House of Hope in St. Paul Presbyterian. So uh, we're embedded in, in, the, in the power structure, actually. Uh, and that's a cool thing when they do the right thing. They wrote a check for a million bucks to help Beacon Interfaith Housing build an apartment complex for young people who are 16 to 24, a lot of them who were gay and had been kicked out of the house because they were LGBTQ. So uh, they're active politically. And how that takes form, uh, we're not sure yet. Well, all right. Well, I mean, I I love it that, that um, you're... Um, uh, part of the Presbyterian Church, the uh, um, the Presbyterian Church of, of, did you say of the United States? USA. USA. Okay. All right. So the I love Church of America, which doesn't ordain women. And so they're, they're back in 1492. <laughs> but uh, PCUSA is uh, up to date. Okay. All right. So, but the problem as I read the, you know, the, this, at least the syllabus of the Dobbs decision is that the Supreme Court has decided we're going to go back in, you know, and study, you know, start basing things on history and tradition, you know, and uh, I, I just. The problem is whose history, whose tradition? There's a lawsuit from a, a Jewish community in Florida that's suing the state of Florida saying you have no right to ban uh, abortion in for a Jewish mother, because we have no prohibition to that to that effect. In fact, you are required to uh, uh, perform an abortion to save a mother. Okay, so it is it is antithetical to the freedom of religion. It's a violation of my freedom of religion. It's a violation of the uh, Jewish people's freedom of religion. So what they're doing is is saying, well, we're not going to pay attention to your history and tradition. We're going to pay attention to the history and tradition that we want to pay attention to. Right. And of course, that history and tradition um, generally, you know, held that um, there would be no birth control, generally yep. held that gay, gay and lesbian people, LGBTQ plus people could be arrested and imprisoned. OK. And then ba- and banned from employment. All right. Held that. I mean, transgender people forget it. I mean, we're you know, we're not even going to show up anybody's radar. OK, because we. They want, to, they want to rob that community of its citizenship, which is I'm is totally wrong. And then you know, and then of course, consensual sex. I mean, it, it, between adults, and I mean, you know, for the longest time in the world, there was you know until Lawrence v. Uh, Texas, there was all these laws on the book books about sodomy, which of course were only enforced against gay people and not certainly against straight people. And yeah, so you don't realize that sodomy includes oral sex. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm talking about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, well, listen, Pastor, we gotta, we're going we're gonna to take a break, okay? And when we come back, um, we'll talk a little bit more about this, okay? Um, all right. So, everyone, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Uh, we've been talking to uh, Pastor Dean Seal from uh, uh, Shepherd of the Hill, Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church in Chaska, Minnesota. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. I'll be 
And we're back. LA 2.0 Radio. Um, we're on the big interview, and we've been speaking with Pastor Dean Seal, who is the pastor at Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church in Chaska, Minnesota. And we've been speaking about mainly about the Supreme Court's decision that came down uh, yesterday in the Dobbs decision, and then a little bit about what Clarence Thomas has written. Pastor, you know, the 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 we we were talking about religion and how you know causing somebody banning saying a law that says that no one can get a religion is violative of other people's religions and isn't it really true that these abortion laws all of these you know anti-abortion laws they they they're clothed in 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 language of secularism okay because they're being passed by legislatures but the reality is, is that it's a it's a group of of mainly Christian. By the way, I think Christian people are really good people. Okay, and I think religion is a good thing. Okay, not all the but, time. But mainly a group of of Christian people of of just some denominations who are funding those politicians who have the political clout because they can get people out to vote. That and in that sense, all of these laws really are religious based. I mean that you know they clothe them in secularism, but that's not really what the truth is. Am I wrong about that? No, you're right, but it goes deeper than that. Uh, guys like Karl Rove were trying to activate the evangelical voting base because uh, evangelicals didn't believe in being involved in politics. Right. So they, what can we do to motivate them? And so they went after abortion and uh, gay rights, LGBTQ people. They said we're going to cast those as evil and a, a very threatening thing and will gin up the excitement that way. He said, I don't, I'm, I'm okay with gay people having rights, but if I put an anti-gay marriage uh, bill on the, on the ballot, then we get a much better turnout for Republican voters. So it's a very cynical uh, thing that uh, the right-wing crackpot Republicans use to drive voters uh, who are being told that this is a, an immediate threat to their life. Right. Well, so we're, we're, we're talking about fear. Right. Yep. We're talking about motivating people with fear and with marginalization of other humans. OK. Yeah. Yes. And 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 to me, that's extremely I mean, where, where do you draw the line? I mean, where do no, they, where it do, goes in semitism and Islamophobia. Uh, uh, that's how Native Americans are prevented from voting. Um, and uh, as you know, as a white cisgendered male, I'm. I'm kind of, I'm not going to pay the price here, but everybody around me that I care about is going to. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy right-wing crackpot extremist Christians who are driving this. Right. And, and I mean, and, and uh, um, I, again, I'm a unifier, not a divider. All right. Part of, I mean, part of what's driving is that these folks, okay, the, that who have the religious conviction in to to want abortion banned have have they ever met anybody who had you know was raped and and you know have carrying the the baby of a rapist for 9 months and then you know making a decision about whether you have to keep the you know going to keep the kid or place the kid for adoption i mean have they ever met anybody so it's an absence of understanding lived experiences that's i mean that's yeah. my view well a lot of the times they will cut themselves off from being exposed to anybody who has that kind of experience 
Now I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little Ellie here and, and talk about uh, a person I know who's an advocate for banning abortions. Uh, she is connected with a group of children who uh, and and they're adults now who said we were the product of rape. And you, what you're saying is I don't have a right to live. So it's not crystal clear. It's not black and white. It's muddy and paradoxical. Okay, but uh, the question is who's going to make the decision? Is the decision going to be made by the person who's pregnant and the doctor that's advising them? Or is the decision going to be made by the government? And, you know, the, the, one of the great uh, hypocrisies here is that the Republicans have always said, we don't want the government interfering in people's right. lives. Unless you're a woman, then we're going to tell you what to do. Right. Or if you're or coming down the pike, if you're gay or transgender, yep. you know, um, or... Or if you were foreign born in another country, if you yep. pra practice, you know, um, Islam, yeah, you, we could go down the whole kind of list here. What if they told everybody they couldn't eat pork? Okay. That would create a problem. But it's the same thing. I'm, I'm not trivializing it here. What I'm right. saying is that uh, they're making religious decisions for other people. Right. And, and you can't do that in the United States, I thought. So, well, right. This is a, a lesson from the Jewish tradition is that uh, sometimes things move forward and sometimes they move back. And we have to be ready to fight back when things start uh, regressing. That, but that assumes we have the tools to fight back, okay? I mean, with the way yeah. that gerrymandering has been done in, in various states, you know, people, the, the majority of people, all right, they don't have the political power because the, the way the the way the voting districts are set up. And so, I mean, this is a rigged card. And the Supreme Court, of course, has said, you know, as it relates to voting rights, the Voting Rights Act of 1964, I mean, essentially they've gutted the Voting Rights Act. So the yeah. Supreme Court has set it up that, that they're going to go do what they want to, all right? And if you want to legislate a reversal of what the Supreme Court does, good luck to you because... Yeah. Because the mechanisms are now set for you not to be able to do that. You I'm know? not saying it's easy. I'm saying yeah. that those are where we have to fight. I mean, we have to, we have to turn the Minnesota uh, Senate from red to blue, which we can do. We only need three seats, uh, and in the in the federal government, we need ten seats. Okay, because of the filibuster, which is a a racist pro slavery item, uh, we uh, we get ruled by a minority government. And, yep. you, and uh, 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 gerrymandering is going to make that harder, but none of it's impossible, okay? And uh, uh, Dr. King will tell you, that sometimes it looks pretty bad, but uh, when things are at their darkest, that's when you can see the stars, okay? So uh, we, we need to grab a hold of whatever is in front of us that we have to do and just start doing it and fight back. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to be like a knife fight in a phone booth. OK, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. We're going to have to duke it out. But uh, the, the, the blowback, as far as they're concerned, starts now. We have to fight back with whatever we have, wherever we are. Well, Pastor Dean, I think that that's a really great thing to end this interview on. OK, it's a call to arms and a, a not not like the weapon arms. OK, but a call yeah. to, to action. I should say that better. And. I want to give you my uh, uh, our website, chaskachurch.org, if you want to be part of this. 
you don't have people can volunteer at our church if they're atheists or be involved yeah. politically. We don't care. We're going to do this stuff, and it's because of our faith tradition. But we welcome people to participate. Well, and I'm going to have you back. Uh, have you back in the next couple of months, and we'll talk about what Shepherd of the Hill does. Okay, because it does incredible work. And we'll, ready. yeah, that's I and I really appreciate you greatly, and um, and thank you for being on Ellie 2.0, and we will um, we'll be back in touch. Okay. Big fan of your work. I'll do whatever I can for you. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor. Okay, everyone, we've been speaking to Pastor Dean Seal of uh, Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church in Chaska, Minnesota. Go check, go check it out, church on the, churchonthehill.org. Oh, I got it wrong, and, and you're muted. Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> okay, just check out <laughs> Presbyterian Church in Chaska. Google that. You're going to find the church. Okay. All right. Shepherd of the Hill. All right. So everyone, I've got to take a break. I'll come back. Okay. And then um, we'll talk about um, my work as an idealist. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay, um, you know what? This has been a whole show filled with me not being able to say Burgerfell, okay, correctly, all right, and misstating other things. Uh, so I've got the I've got the email, or excuse me, the website for Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church in Chaska. Let me just reiterate it here. It is chaskachurch.org. Okay, chaska c h a s k a church.org. All right. Okay, I've got like four minutes to be able to give you um, uh, my C block, the work I do as an idealist. And, you know, um, so yesterday, um, it's been a very busy June, okay, because I'm, you know, transgender and it's Pride Month and a lot of organizations want, they want somebody who's LGBTQ plus to talk in that month. Okay. So I've got, I've done a lot of talks. Um, but yesterday, um, I presented to educators, um, the leadership team for, um, uh, Eastern Carver County schools, district one, one, two. Um, I spoke to, I don't know, about 40, 45 principals, assistant principals and deans, of all the various schools, high schools, elementary schools, middle schools, and I gave them gray area thinking. And it was great because I'm back in front of a live audience and we can do some things live and it's just role playing and all of that stuff. And I've just got to tell you, okay, um, first they, and, they, and as far as I could tell, they loved gray area thinking. But I've got to tell you, I so admire these folks. And I admire educators in general. I've got two educators in my family, and I guess you could technically say when I'm training, I'm an educator, but I'm not going to wear that mantle very well, I'll tell you. But I was extremely impressed by uh, yesterday, by the audience members' commitment to getting things right around um, 
diversity and equity and inclusion around wanting to wanting to lead. Um, we had a long we had a discussion about you know bumpiness and and that it's the leader's responsibility to to lean in to face into the bumpiness rather than to run from it. I mean, generally humans we we don't like to be made uncomfortable, but when our leaders when they model that it's okay to get uncomfortable because once you get uncomfortable once you have to deal with stuff that ordinarily you would not deal with that you would ordinarily not talk about once you agree, okay, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to try and understand this. Once you do that, go through the bumpiness, your perspective changes. And it's changed perspective. It's changed perspective that gets us change. Because now people can, they can understand better um, the lived experiences of people who are different or other compared to them. And you know what? And it's so incredibly important that our educators that our educators are willing to do that because they're teaching our kids. And you know, you know from other conversations I've had uh, with you here on this, on this show where I've been going to um, the middle schools um, and the high school, alternative high school, out in District 1-2 to talk to LGBTQ plus students, plus some <clears throat> students who are just allies, and I talked to you about how impressed I am about those students and about how self-aware they are of things. And I've got to tell you, okay, let me just tie it together in 40 seconds. I'm scared to death of what the Dobbs decision that we've talked about at length in this show, the abortion case, scared to death about what it's going to do to young humans, about the way they're going to view the world. These educators I talked to yesterday, I think that they are wonderful resources to help those young humans, but it's not going to be easy. It's just, it's a long, long slog, as, uh, Pastor, uh, as Pastor Dean reminded us. Okay, well, listen, uh, you know, I hope that you've enjoyed the show. Happy Pride to you. Maybe I'll see you out at uh, Loring Park uh, this afternoon. Big thanks to my producer, Patrick, who has, like, had to do math on top of math on top of high-level math. Patrick, you did a great job. Listeners, hey, you know, um, uh, you may not hear from me for a couple of weeks now, okay, because uh, travel and, and the 4th of July vacation, but in the time between now and you hear, hear me again, do me a favor. Go out, make the world better. Do something good for someone else. Take care.